Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Two. One. Oh, Recorded live. Hey, everybody. I want to welcome you on this beautiful first day of the week to the Matrix Discussion Group. Uh, Sunday. Not the Sabbath. It's the first day of the week. Sabbath was yesterday. And just kind of like to remind everybody of that every week. Um, we had a great call tonight. Uh, we've got NM Justice on here with us. I will probably just refer to him as Mr. Justice. So I don't have to say NM Justice every time. Um, that, that's something I, I've been trying to say it ten times fast all day. It just really hasn't been working out too good. But anyway, um, yeah, we had a good discussion this afternoon. And he's very well versed in a lot of different areas. Um, one of my favorite areas where I really think you know, everybody's trying to find a way of affecting situations going on in their life. And one of my favorite areas for that really is in the administrative process. Um, and so like I said, he's very well versed in that as well. And I don't know if that's totally the direction that we'll go in. Um, I'm going to try and leave the floor open. If anybody has any questions or anything like that, we will have a Q&A time probably after uh, the first part of the call. Um, but if there is too much noise or anything like that in the background, I will have to mute out the board. Um, so just keep in mind that uh, even if your neighbor sneezes across the street, it still comes over the line. Uh, like some of the ruffling I'm hearing right now. Um, so if you're not talking, just mute yourself out, and that makes it much simpler for everybody. Um, anyway, with that being said, uh, I want to uh, welcome Mr. Justice Brian, to the call. How are you doing, Bert? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I just want to say, if when you uh, anybody does ask for the floor, just say, may I? And please state your first name or an alias name. We don't care. We just want to know who we're talking to. And don't jump in over everybody. That's all I ask for. Thank you. Yeah, that's one of the things that I find frustrating when I'm listening to different calls is that um, I don't think it's really difficult to tell when somebody has finished completing their thought or the idea that they're trying to convey. Um, and so generally you can kind of wait until somebody's done uh, conveying what they're trying to say before you want to jump in. And um, that makes things go a whole lot smoother if you can just kind of read people's speech and their words and their mind a little bit. Uh, anyway, yeah, that, that does smooth things out a lot better. And uh, let us know um, what entity you are going by and where you are located also. It's kind of nice to hear what parts of the country or in many cases, what parts of the world um, some of the listeners are at. So, okay. Well, with that being said, how are we doing, Mr. Justice? Doing very well. Thanks for the introduction. I appreciate it. Um, gonna Before we get, get started, I'll just 
say a little bit about myself, how I got kind of into this stuff so people have a little bit of idea of some of the stuff that I've accomplished on my own by learning some of this stuff. And uh, you did speak about the administrative process is what I actually had uh, come into when I first got into this knowledge was uh, the administrative process and contract. And that's my whole basis for everything that I do is basically um, putting it around uh, a simplistic contractual idea or philosophy based on their own laws and the way that they had written contracts to be. So um, I studied the contract stuff for quite some time. It was like a major staple in my understanding of a lot of this stuff. I do realize that a lot of this stuff, a lot of people have. Uh, point of order, brother? Yes. If I may, just for a second. Uh, there's like some whistling going on in the background somewhere. It's like four short whistles that happens like every seven or eight seconds. That's so great. whoever has, yeah, whoever has That's that bird. happening, if you, if you could uh, just mute out, we'd appreciate it. And anyway, go ahead. All right, thanks. Um, I do understand that a lot of people have a lot of information and a lot of ideas and a lot of different avenues of approach um, to go. So. I realize these calls are for all of us to kind of share our information and our knowledge that we have and kind of bring it all together. So I am one to tell you, I don't know everything. I've tried a lot of stuff. I've had a lot of um, firsthand knowledge and experience with a lot of this stuff. So most of the things I'm speaking on, I have done. I have tried. If I haven't tried it, I'm pretty clear and letting you know that I haven't did it. But if I was to do it, this is the way that I would approach it based on the knowledge that I have. Um, what I'm going to kind of get into first a little bit, just uh, we all know that, well, I wanted to talk a little bit about how I got into it. About like uh, nine years ago, I had, uh, I was living off of student loans. Uh, my wife and me both were. And we ended up running out of co-signer for student loans. Um, and when we did that, we actually had to go out and work. And when we started going out and work, we had a business. We ended up accumulating a lot, a lot of debt. And I uh, ended up selling this business but the debts were still there and they were kind of like coming down on us both really hard. So what we thought we would do is like try to move and get away from it. Well, you know, they follow you around everywhere you go based on the number and the name that we use. So I had to think of something really quick. I really didn't know which way to go. I was kind of stressing out. I actually ran into a friend when I had moved to Florida and I was telling him kind of the situation we were in. And he, he was telling me like, Hey, I have some information for you that'll help you out. And at the time he was explaining it to me, I thought the guy was a complete nut job. And some of the stuff he said was pretty cool, you know, but it seemed almost too good to be true. You know, well, I kind of put him off more, more along the lines of he's, he's just a flaming idiot. I can't, I can't handle this, man. The guy's just off his rocker. Well, I ended up running into another problem with a police officer, and the police officer was actually our landlord at the time. And what was coming down on us was a landlord-tenant issue. And so I had told him about it. I was kind of whining and complaining again. And he said, look, did you look at any of the stuff that I gave you? And I said, no. And he told me, he said, well, if you're going to whine and complain about it and you haven't looked at it, you don't have any room to complain. You're in this because you want to be. And at that, like, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go look at it. I spent two hours at the time this one night just studying some stuff and what had come to my my realization was that we've been fed a whole bunch of lies. I was reading their laws that I was never presented with and seeing things for the first time in a different light. And from that moment on, I just kind of, it's like taking that, that wake up pill, you know, and then you can't kind of go back once you've kind of woken yourself. But I stayed on the, 
the path and uh, was able to, you know, teach with some groups and things for a few years. And uh, so I've had, I've seen a lot of cool experiences or a lot of cool successes. Um, I've seen quite a bit of things that people have done, pretty amazing things. And uh, I can contest that this stuff, even though it may sound weird to some, it is actually the truth and it's just needs to be applied correctly. So kind of get into this illusion and let's break it down a little bit because it is a big, huge illusion. We've kind of been born into it, but it's here for a reason, the way that they had set it up. So we're just going to dismantle it a little bit and uh, see if we can start seeing through it because it's not too hard to see through once you see a few things. But uh, we all know from the birth certificate, this kind of stems from that. goes way, way back though. Yeah, I heard a couple guys talking about some biblical things and stuff, but we can trace this all the way back all the way back into Genesis. So it goes all the way back, and if you're, you're fluent in the biblical principles and things and you're a studier of that, that book, you'll find out a lot of the commercial system is based in that book. So it's a good reference for anyone to actually, once they start seeing how things are presented, you can actually go into the Bible and you can break some things down, which is really cool. Did a lot of scripture studies when I was learning this stuff and still do. But we all know from the birth certificate, 1933, got the bankruptcy, they created the birth certificates. What they did with that was create a legal entity, and then they take this legal entity. Funny thing is, they, after your, the parent has the baby, they present this thing in the paper. They give public notice of a, of a baby being born. Well, we think it's a baby, but it's a legal person or whatever, and they put presentment in the paper. We think that's a new child of God. That's what we've always been told, give public notice. A new child of God has entered the world. Well, they were actually making a claim so someone can come and claim this abandoned baby because the, the hospitals used to be back in the day, they were foundling hospitals. A foundling hospital is where the mother abandons her baby, and they still go on those principles today, but they don't let us know that. That's just the principles they're operating on. So the same thing kind of happens. They go back and do, use this structure, and mom has a baby, creates a legal entity on paper, hands that paper over and then they create that legal person. When the claim goes in the paper, the mom and dad don't come back and lawfully claim this, this, this legal person. So the state ends up adopting it, and they do a legal adoption. It's not a lawful adoption, but a legal adoption because we operate in a legal system. So when they do this, the state becomes basically like the parent to that name. And it's funny, whenever we run into a court scenario or situation, they always act as like they have this authority over us. And kind of if you really look at it a little bit, we all know that there is no authority really outside of ourselves other than our creator. So there's something going on with that exchange of how they're treating us and why are they treating us this way. And so we got into understanding more and more. When I first got into this, we didn't know about infancy. We didn't know about a state. We knew about there not being any money, no lawful money. You can discharge your debt. We were learning about that stuff, but it didn't really come to light about the infancy stuff where we were really cracking on it for about like the last two years, two and a half years. And that's basically what this revolves around is the administration of this estate. The estate being, being in infancy status in their books on their end. And it's up to us to actually correct that so that way we have proper access to it and can use it properly and kind of expatriate ourselves from that status we're in right now 
to a proper status, we can operate freely and enjoy our lives more so than what we are right now. So when they do all this stuff, it's really coercive. They didn't really let our parents really know what was going on. We just think that's, you know, everyone was just kind of order following, you know, not really, not really breaking. Why are we taking these orders? Why do we have to do these things? Why can't we create these things on our own? We can create these things on our own. You know, we got people that do nativities of, of live birth. I just talked to a guy like last week who created his own daughter's nativity of birth. She never had a birth certificate for until she was like 30 years old. Then she ended up having to get one for some of the stuff she wanted to do for college or something, which she probably didn't even have to do. But we have these avenues that we can use, but we've been so complacent in being told what to do and how to do it, and they set up all these structures and these systems. We kind of just get thrown into it and just seem like that's the way we got to go. It kind of takes to realize what's going on, a reprogramming of our hard drive, which are our brain, our heart, mind, body, soul, everything, reprogram it into seeing it the right way, not the way that they have presented to us because everything mostly they presented to us is upside down and backwards from the truth. So we got to be cognizant of that stuff. And then once we understand that, we can start looking at their laws and breaking them down. So I'm going to get into something really cool so you guys do know how important this infancy stuff is. Um, Most stuff I'm going to talk about is out of corpus juris. So this is the section, one of the sections on the infant stuff. And uh, it's pretty funny because when we look at or told about a baby or an infant, we're, we're thinking about an infant being little. They can't do anything on their own. But it's really funny how infants are allowed to do all kinds of stuff in this system, one of them being Infants, this is uh, Section 165, deposits and transaction with banks. Infants may deposit funds in bank accounts and withdraw them as if they were adults. So you kind of look at how can an infant have even a bank account? How can they even be cognizant of a bank account? How would they know how to withdraw or deposit? So it kind of gets you thinking. Infant, infant, we would think children, but no, in the system's eyes, we are all labeled as us because we haven't corrected the status that is actually needs to be corrected. So when they pull this stuff up in their system, it's corrected and looks proper and just, and we're probably going to be treated a little bit different. If you understand their laws and you do understand contract, you will, and you have experienced some of these places, you will understand that they treat you different anyways. They operate totally different. You don't get hurt in front of people. Everything that's heard, if you're putting in paperwork and you're knowing this stuff, they don't want you to be talking about this in front of anybody. They, they hold your cases till the end. There's nobody in the courtroom. I mean, you could be first on the docket, but you're not going till the end. It's happened to me every single time. So just be aware of that. When you start knowing these little things they have done, the illusion, you're breaking through the illusion. Now it's them. They got a bag of tricks. They're going to try to throw all their tricks at you. But once you know, it's going to be pretty hard for them to lie to you, and that's basically all they're doing is, is, is a lie. They set up a system, but you're really not part of that system. These are their laws, their rules, their writings. Everything is there. So when I do this stuff or teach this stuff, I read their stuff and then just break down their stuff. Don't make none of it up. It's not for me to make up, but it's what they have written down. Here's another thing. Section 167, jurisdiction of courts over infant or over a state of infants. Jurisdiction over a state of infants is inherent in equity, but it may also be vested by constitutional or statutory, statutory provision in particular courts. 
The institution of proceeding affecting the infant's property makes the infant a ward of the court, which has broad powers and duties to protect his or her interests. Courts of equity have general and inherent jurisdiction over the property of infants. Primary jurisdiction over the estates of infants may, under constitutional or statutory provision, be vested in the probate, county, district, or other specified court. Jurisdiction may be exercised only when the court has acquired jurisdiction as to the particular infant and subject matter. The commencement of a proceeding affecting an infant's property vests in the court with the jurisdiction over his or her estate, pursuant to which the court acts in local parentage or as a guardian and or infant becomes a ward. It is the duty of the court to safeguard the infant's property and interest with great care. Now, this is funny because... If you go to Corpus Juris and you go to the section where it talks about uh, foreign corporations, um, let me find the spot real quick to give you the – it's where they, they act as parents partier over every American citizen. Um, let me see where it's at real quick. Okay. The federal government is the ultimate parents partier over every American citizen. And this is nature and status, Corpus Juris Section 2. I don't, can't see the volume in which it is, but if you go to nature and status and one of the Corpus Juris, you're going to find it. They, when they did that birth certificate thing and they took it over, they became the parents partier over every American citizen. The funny thing is when they use American citizen, they're really talking, in my opinion, as a United States citizen because they really can't be our parents partier our legal protector in any sense because they really have no duty to protect you. It's a corporation. Corporations don't have any duty. The police don't even have a duty. So it's really important to be able to know that that they're operating here. Everything they're doing administratively is about the estates. What makes up the United States is all the people's estates combined. We have one of these. This is given. This is what our parents did when they made this promise or this agreement. They hand this thing over. That is a promise. When your child reaches the age of majority, they have access to the state. Since we operate in bankruptcy, we don't have any money, so we need this bond, and we need to monetize this bond. So this is going to be – we're going to hold it. We're going to use it. This is how we're going to fund ourselves because we operate in debt. We're going to use this, but then when your child reaches the age of majority, we're going to go ahead and give them access to their estate, and they'll be fine. Funny thing is they didn't tell anybody about this, and so we're all operating more adults. We change the majority when we can think or whatever, but we're still operating it as infants in their eyes. And you start bringing this stuff up to their attention, they have a duty and obligation to supposedly protect you by that promise they made to the operating trust. Here's another one that's going to get you. Section 170, property held in trust, for sure. An infant's acceptance of a trust may be confirmed or disclaimed upon his or her coming of age. That's what this stuff is. Everything that we've done and every way we've operated, we're operating in infancy status, abandonment. The, the government that we have here was allowed to come in, Article 1, Section 8. They're allowed to administrate abandoned properties in support of the war effort. Had the Civil War. In order to come out of a war, you have to have a declaration and a treaty of peace administered or administrated by the commander-in-chief. We've never had an official declaration of peace granted. So we've been in a state of war since this time. So everything that they're doing, if you go into the courts, you see that they got that, that flag, and around that flag has got the yellow trim. 
the military tribunal in there. And we're going into these places, and they're operating. They have the authority to administrate belligerents and abandoned properties. So when you go in and you make a claim, and you haven't switched your status over, and you're claiming to something that's not really yours because you were born into it, there's a maximum of law. He who creates the thing is responsible for the thing. So did you create the driver's license? Did you create the Social Security card? Did you create the birth certificate? No. We didn't create those things. They're their creations. They're really responsible for it. When you come in and you don't have your status changed or you don't know of this stuff and you start claiming the name on there, well, automatically you just commit an act of theft. That's a crime. So they're going to actually treat you the way that they treat you because you're coming in. You're making a claim to that name. You've never switched it over. You've never been decreed the use of that name. They copywritten and trademarked all that stuff. Everything that they've created, they've copywritten it. Even their laws, when you go in and try to use their laws, if you don't word it properly and you're using it for your benefit or trying to use it for your benefit, they will flip it on you because when you take that benefit, you also got to bear that burden. The laws were not there for you. We operate under the golden rule. That's how we're supposed to operate. All the other laws and things that are written was for them to keep the corporations in line. But because they've turned this whole thing into a, basically a clearinghouse, a big, huge monster corporation, they basically bought everybody into it. And they did have 13th Amendment. You know, change the capital C to a lowercase c, go from proper noun to a common noun, or a common noun to a proper noun, or however they do it. That switched the whole meaning of everything. So when they do this stuff, they combined every, everything into one thing. And they administrate it that way. It's our job to know what they've done by reading their laws and bring forth this information as if we know it, understand it, we live by it, and not be afraid because they actually know when you're scared. When you fumble your words, they know that you can get, they can get around something on you. Or they, they pull up, let's say you're in the court or something, and they pull up some deputies around next to you. I mean, that's intimidating. They use these tactics to try to knock you off your square, knock you off your, your foundation. So if you don't have a proper foundation in this stuff, the foundation is just basically knowing what they've done. When you know what they've done and you know that they're doing it under infancy status and it has everything to do with the birth certificate, the name that's registered on that birth certificate, it's not really you. Never was you. You can't be a word. Don't really know what we actually are. We know we're not our body. But if you're going to define, you got words that define what we may be, but do we really know spiritually what we really are we really don't know we just have words that define it and it's their words they've made them up but it defines it gives you an idea of what it may be some way to explain it but we really don't know so why make a claim to knowing any of this stuff when in fact that could just possibly flip it on onto us in a bad way so it kind of come from the now <laughs> rather than past or future come from the now in the now we just woke up today you know, when we were here, we'd be asking all kinds of questions. You know, asking, split a, as, as and asking. You split it up as king, you know, in the capacity of the king or queen, whatever you want it to be. It doesn't really matter. But you're asking the questions just like when Jesus was on trial. He asked the questions, you know, to get him out of that. It was the people who wanted him dead. But Pontius found no fault in that man because of the questions he was asking because he was coming from a basically like a spot of I don't really know. How is this? How is this occurring? How does it? How does it apply to me? And these are important. They might sound stupid, 
you know, stupid little questions. How does this apply to me? Or you don't think the law applies to you? Well, you know, how does it apply to me? Can you show me where it applies? Without being a jerk off about it, can you show me where it applies? Now, I want to talk about when they talk about the ward, the ward of the court, there's something really, really important that a lot of people don't know about. And it's something that I really love, and we've actually got quite a bit of success using this one little thing in court. And you know how all these attorneys out here, they're all bar members. They're all part of that club. Well, to give you an idea, they're all administrating the same thing. And if you go to the court rules, civil procedure or whatever, you're going to find out that a judge's job and a lawyer's job is to protect the integrity of the system. What is the integrity of the system? It's a big, huge illusion, and they have to protect it. But here's what attorneys are only allowed to represent. So this comes out of Schwer versus the Board of Examiners. Um, it's a 353-US-238-239. That an attorney cannot represent any private citizen nor any business as the, as the state cannot practice, license the practice of law. That an attorney can only be allowed to practice law in the courts to represent wards of the court such as infants, and persons of unsound mind as per Corpus Juris Secundum, Volume 7, Section 4. So whenever an attorney is bringing a claim, there has to be a ward or an infant in that case. Where is it? Do they ever present it to you? Do they ever let you know? Have we ever really asked these questions? When we start asking these, that, just that basic one right there, we actually had some really cool success, and they were supposed to be on you know, just debt cases or whatever, but they were big student loans, um, one was on property, and then there was another one, on, it was another debt, credit card debt, which attorney was bringing. All those got settled, and they were all settled by way of cash settlement, just by using that right there. But how are they able, if an attorney said, oh, that don't matter, well, proof how you're able to actually override your Supreme Court rulings, because last I knew, you operate under that. And you have to act in accordance with it. So if it says that, well, I'm going to hold you to it. And you need to prove otherwise. If you can't prove otherwise and you're in this court, you're putting fraud upon the court. You're using this court to bring through a bogus claim, basically, to basically bring profit to your private practice or whatever it is you're doing. Your constitution doesn't really allow for that. And these are the kind of things that have been really powerful in a lot of these cases that we've done and just recently. So I didn't know that actually until um, like a year ago. And then once I knew that, I started using that with some of the people that I was helping out and they were able to get success. So uh, just keep it in mind, it's only one little court case, but it has worked three times in a row. <laughs> but it's the truth about the wards and the infants. So if you have a ward or an infant, a ward is basically property and an infant is someone of unsound mind. So if you haven't reached the age of majority, more than likely like a child, we always tell our kids or whatever, when you start doing this or paying the bills, you can actually do what you want to do. But since you're under our roof, you operate under our rules. Well, when the kid gets of age, the kid usually moves out of the house. Now he's operating under his own rules. He's reached the age of majority. He's old enough to move out or she. And this is the same thing with the system. When you become old enough and you understand what's going on, you have every right to move out of it. And if you don't know the process to move out of it, but you know this information, 
you have something to stand on. Not always saying it's always going to go great for you or anything like that, because you've been in the courts. I've seen how they operate firsthand. And they will override things that you know to be a fact. And they're just seeing if you're going to be able to enforce that. Are you going to be able to? A lot of times we don't know how to enforce it because of how large the system has became. became. But in reality, if they do those things and you already know that they're bound to them, it just shows you and whoever else is watching the lawlessness that is taking place, which people do need to see. Because when they do see it and they do experience it firsthand, they will have a totally different idea about that system. And they will understand that we can't operate in there. We need to create our own systems that are right, just, and perfect all the way across the board and actually support our best interest. We have right now, it's supporting the best interest of not too many people, but it's supporting the best interest of the rich ones that run the world or run all these big corporations. They're a small amount of people compared to the people we have on the ground and ready to go and are doing this work. We have a lot more people, but we can't do it through fighting. You can't fight them. We'll get screwed. They have freaking tanks and whatever, and they can, I mean, enough order followers to, you know, take you whenever they want. They got to do it kind of peacefully. And how are you going to do that? You do it through administrative process. You want to escape something, you have to start doing some paperwork. You have to make affidavits. The only thing that you can attest to, something that you can attest to as a living being and attest to their bogus bullcrap that they have, you have to be able to bring forth because what are they? what is a fictional entity going to attest? They can't attest anything, and we already know now just by hearing what we heard, if a lawyer makes a statement about something you've did, he has no standing in your room to speak. Why? Because he's only allowed to represent a ward or an infant. I'm not a ward or an infant. Why? Because I'm writing my own logical thing, put into your system so you have notice. So if you bring claim against that, you're actually bringing claim against the United States, the proper United States, because there's two in the United States here. That's actually sedition. That's actually insurrection and rebellion. And we've had somebody go into court and actually mop the floor with attorneys with that stuff. Sedition and, and insurrection and rebellion, it's pretty powerful. So 15 U.S.C. 1 and 15 U.S.C. 2. Um, so it's good information to know. And since they operate in military status, a lot of their military stuff we've used um, when, when coming in, like, like when it comes against, like, uh, let's say they're bringing a claim against us. They're really, in reality, the way they set it up, they're not supposed to be bringing claims against Americans because the Americans actually were the ones who agreed to this promise and funding their stuff. So they're supposed to have an equal balance between the two. And when they do that and they bring a claim against an American who knows this stuff, you can actually bring the claim back as basically sedition and insurrection and rebellion. Because remember, what makes up the United States is all the people's estates combined. So they're administrating, they're only supposed to administrate abandoned property or infancy property. And if you're alive and well and you're awake and you're all the age of majority and you know this stuff and you bring it to their attention and they still bring claim against it, now you can flip it back on them and ask, if you're here to protect and they're supposed to be hired to protect, how can they be protecting and you be protecting at the same time? If they're bringing a claim against it, how can they be an agent that's hired to protect? 
I'm the one standing here protecting. You show me where you're protecting. If I'm protecting based on your your stupid statutes that are written, and and keeping in accordance with that, what are you doing? And what statutes are you you using? Where do you have the authority to override the laws of the United States? And if you do have that, present them now. If you don't, you're making false claims, which again is a commercial crime in your system, and you need to be held responsible. And this is what they're doing to everybody. So if you get the basics and the breakdown, at least you have something to stand on. I got real simple in the years because I used to do like full-out monster claims, man, like full-out monsters where it would take – I would be doing paperwork every single weekend trying to get this stuff situated, and I'd be writing page after page after page. Uh, I got real real simple once I figured this stuff out, and it's really about the age of majority, the uh, administration of the estate. I really don't get into a whole lot of stuff. I just get into a few di- few questions I know that they can't answer, and I'll put them on a piece of paper, and I'll send it in. And then when they don't respond with pro- the proper way or don't respond with some evidence showing they have this authority, well, that's what I stand on, and that's what I stick to. So that way I don't get knocked off my, my claim. If I used to get into the long claims, and when they started, like, heckling me a little bit, I would lose some of my claims from, you know, being you're not used to going into those places. So, I mean, you're a little bit nerve-wracked when you step in there. You feel like everybody's against you automatically. And so when they start, like, getting a little bit angry with you or loudmouth with you, um, I would get a little bit mixed up in my wording or what it was I was trying to present. And I a lot of times lost my claim. So by keeping it simple and just asking a few questions and putting it out and then stand on that, it's really easy because then you walk in and you say, well, you know, due to I, I sent out some paperwork, you know, giving you guys proper notice of how this was going or whatnot and how I was presenting myself in here. I have not yet heard of any rebuttal or had any objection to it. Therefore, if we want to move forward, I'm going to have to see some evidence right now presented right here that rebuts the bona fide claim that I brought forth to establish what it is I'm bringing. And if one cannot be brought forward, well, then, you know, summary judgment in the plaintiff for whatever's favor, whoever, what side you're coming in on or whatnot, and push it that way. And then they may say something, but then you have to go back, object or conditionally accept however you want to do it. I usually would conditionally accept. That's acceptable, however. That way I'm not denying or fighting or anything like that. I would always accept what – I would acknowledge what they say. So if they tried to get over my claim, I would just – that's acceptable. However, since this hasn't been rebutted, how are we able to move forward until this gets, this gets proven to be true? We can't go from one thing to the next when this is still in the air over here and has been brought forward in question form and has been attested to and unrebutted. If it hasn't been rebutted sufficiently, we can't move on until this gets done and taken care of. If this cannot be taken care of, the case is basically closed. And whatever you're asking for, you can ask at that time. If it's money or whatnot, I've never really asked for money in the courts. I've always really just asked for asked for uh, basically just a remedy. Leave me alone. Um, debt collectors and stuff. And doing court cases for those, I always ask for money because that's a little bit different deal and a little bit different approach. And I use usually the FDCPA when I'm messing with debt collectors and, and stuff like that. And remember, two attorneys in the, the bank, the judge sits on a bench, which is the bank in Latin. So they're actually collecting debt. 
canceled because they're moving into commercial business. They lose all their sovereign capacity. So you can also, we've had a guy go into court too, which is really cool. I haven't got the chance to actually try this out, but I think it would work. He got it to work. He had a check cut to him for a thousand bucks because they brought a case in. It was a traffic ticket. He went in on a traffic ticket. And when he went in there, he was asking questions. They ended up basically doing like a, a, they stopped the case for a little bit and they reconvened the case. When he came back in, they reconvened the case. He said, before we get started, being that this is a debt and we're, we're basically operating commercially and under the rules of basically debt collection, um, the debt has not been validated properly. So how can this debt be actually shown to be sufficient and how could it be even on the docket sheet? And the judge actually looked over at, at, the, at the prosecutor and said, do you have your checkbook? So it's pretty funny. But it's something to know, and he was able to walk out of there with $1,000 because any, any debt or any debt collection practices that are unlawful, according to FDCPA Fair Debt Collections Practice Act, you can obtain for any, any violation that they occur, which they're violating them all the time, you can, you can incur a $1,000 remedy for that. So usually when a debt collector comes, they're usually violating already like three of them. So it's three grand right off the top. So... Just some good things to know. I mean, I don't know how, how deep you want me to go into this stuff other than I, we know what, what's going on here. We know it's an administration of an estate. We know we have to get proper – we have to set, it, set our status up properly. The only problem is they haven't really let us know that. And when we call Treasury and we try to figure out how to set it up, they actually treat us kind of funny like we're some kind of enemy or something. So we don't really have the exact way to go about it, but we do have quite a few remedies that people can use and utilize and have success. But I or none of my people that I've operated, I don't know anybody who successfully got a hold of that estate. I I do know people who have successfully expatriated themselves, but I do not know anybody who has access to that money or those credits. 100%. So we just kind of deal with with the the, basically the hand we've been dealt with and we work with it. And we just come up with new creative ideas and approaches based on their laws and we move on them and we apply them in in ways and see what works and what doesn't. But being that this is all contractual, we do everything through offer and acceptance. You give an offer and they have a legitimate time, usually 72 hours, on according to their establishment of contract, to establish something in writing back to you. A lot of times they don't. You, you put these, these things in your contracts when you're sending out paperwork. If you send something out, like when we're doing the FDCPA stuff, a debt collection, we give them usually five days after receipt of our presentment because that's what it says in there. So they're supposed to initially, they'll come back after almost 30 days with a presentment back to you. They've already defaulted because according to FDCPA, they have five days after, after the initial contact to give you proof or evidence that they have an active lawful claim to be presenting to you. Debt collectors do not have lawful claims because of the bankruptcy, and they are a third party with no firsthand knowledge. So if you don't have any firsthand knowledge to anything, you have no right or standing to speak in any matter. And it kind of goes back to even even with the license and the, the contracts we entered into before we knew this stuff, that's in the past. The past doesn't exist. A name on paper, whoop-de-doo. Did you see me do it? Can you vouch and prove that I actually wrote that? And if you can, 
get up and testify it and show evidence. You've got to have a video or something that you can bring forward. It's never going to happen. Same with the debt collection stuff. They always present a statement. They may present a copy of something, but go look up copy in, in a dictionary, in a law dictionary. Copy is counterfeit. So they're presenting counterfeit material to you all the time. They'll just put on it, this is a true copy. That's an oxymoron, man. How can you have a true copy or original copy? It doesn't make any sense. But this is the stupidity that they do and they present to us all the time. And the name that they're using in all caps, a lot of you guys probably already know it, is a Glossa. Glossa defined in Black's Law, I got a fourth edition, it's defined as counterfeit as well because it's dog Latin. And that was a deception that was created behind closed doors. And you can actually go read it. It's called the Justinian Deception. Kind of opens your eyes to the wording that we use. And it's funny, that's all under the Vatican rule. And they use them in banking contracts. So that's still used today in banking. What are we doing? We're all banking. So that's, that's the way it's written. So when you see that all caps name coming through, it's actually a gloss on it. It's actually counterfeit, but it's copywritten by them. So, I mean, it's just some things to know. Um, that that helps out quite a bit when you are presented with some of these uh, simulated legal processes, as Rob Ryder would say. You know, if you know anything about him, he's got some good information. Spends a lot of time doing a lot of research. So, if anybody has any questions, um, you can ask them now. Or if you want me to get in, if you, if you want me to get into something else um, a little bit of debt collection we can get into the FDCPA I'm real real versed on the FDCPA I've had you know a lot of settlements from this document um, 12 page document that is the the federal governing around debt collection um, but very very simple stuff so if anybody's got any debt problems um, and wants to, huh if I may yeah uh, yes, sir. You mentioned some questions that they don't like to answer in court. Would you go over those questions, please? Well, there's a lot of questions they don't like answering. If you even just bring up certain things about an estate matter, is this an estate matter? They're not going to want to answer it because what they did, what the courts are, you have a trust that was created. That's the original trust that was created. Now, when these usurpers came in, which is the private for-profit business that came in like the middlemen, they actually created a trust as well. And I was speaking earlier, um, Brian, I believe, with the, and with the, associ- the private associations and stuff. They still operate under trust. But the funny thing about the trust, when you create a trust over a trust, that is called a constructive trust. Now, if you go – I got a, a black sport. I do a lot of research in that, but if you go to constructive trust, right in the beginning of that, it will say initially a constructive trust is deemed to be fraud. However, it's basically like as long as you agree and don't raise question to it, that trust will operate, and that's exactly because they operate on presumption and assumption. So if you don't raise question and know about the trust and them creating a constructive trust, because what they're doing is when you come in there, you're the adult, you're the creditor, always, because you're the living. You give life to everything that we see out here, men and women, all of us together. When you come in, they switch the role on you, and they put you as a trustee. They, the judge takes the, the executor position, or the grantor executor, however you want to call it, and then you got the state as the beneficiary. Now, the state can stay a beneficiary, that's fine. 
but you're an incidental beneficiary to the contract that occurred. You never signed a contract, but you're that automatically. You're always the grantor beneficiary in the matter. When they come in and try to tell you, the grantor, what to do, they are reconstructing a trust on top of a trust. So the minute that judge or an attorney or anybody speaks as if you're lower than them, they are operating from a constructive trust standpoint. You have to revert back to the original trust and put them back in their place. Now, I want to read something to you. You guys probably know this, but it's always good to hear again. This is um, out of American Jurisprudence uh, 63C, Public Officers and Employees. It says, as expressed otherwise, the powers delegated to the public officer are held in trust for the people and are to be exercised in behalf of the government or of all citizens who may need the intervention of the officer. Furthermore, the view has been expressed that all public officers within whatever branch and whatever level of government and whatever be their private vocations are trustees of the people. People lowercase means people collectively. And accordingly, labor under every disability and prohibition imposed by law upon trustees relative to making of personal financial gains from a discharge of their trust. So that means when they come in and you bring forth as if you know this stuff, the first thing, they're operating two offices kind of. They're supposed to know both offices. One is the office of illusion, and then one, the, the parents partier, the legal protector of the American or the people. Now, they're, not, they're still operating as legal protector of the name, but not the true people. So they're never even looking at people as people, but they're supposed to take notice of this. So when you come in and you stand in, they're supposed to know what side they're operating on. When you know, they're supposed to protect you because that's their job. That's what they signed up for. They are the trustees. Whenever you see trustee, you don't want to be that. <laughs> you don't want to be that. You don't want trustees are slaves. If you ever have been into jail and you ever see the guys walking around that are cleaning up everything and doing all the dirty work so they can get the benefit of being out of their cell, they have trustee written on their back. You cannot be a trustee. You can be the grantor, you can be the beneficiary, but you cannot be the trustee unless you want to be the trustee. And if you are the trustee, you are going to accept the liability that comes with it, plain and simple. I screwed up one time in court, and a judge smiled at me and laughed. He was like, you're out of here. I said I was actually using the term executive trustee. Now, you can actually make that claim kind of if you, you're playing different roles, but when I said trustee, the judges looked at me, smiled, and I was basically out of there. I, I had to, like, he basically slapped down a liability to me and drug me out of the court. Well, his minions did. But I screwed up, and I, was, I actually brought that to the guy's attention who I was learning from, and he's like, yeah, that's what we thought years ago and stuff. And I'm like, he goes, we figured out a little bit more from that. But you can actually use that if you know what role you're playing and if the judge takes notice of that role. Because the reason you'd be coming in as executive trustee is to help administrate the matter for them. So you're taking on that role only for administrative purposes, and they're supposed to take notice of that and give you safe harbor. It doesn't really happen in our system because they're pretty much, I don't know, like, like if you re you look up like demon or something, and they're like that's basically what you're running into when you go in these places. These people act like demonic beings or something. Like they don't have any moral value for any people. It's really strange to me. I don't understand it. It kind of sickens my heart a little bit, but 
I do understand there's a lot of sleeping people out there that just are committed to their institutions more so than their the people around them. And, you know, it's not really right to be like that, in my opinion. But, you know, that's just my opinion. So, so you can ask about that. You can ask about the name. They don't like you, actually, when you – when you go in, since this is a whole name thing, and they need you to make claim to the name, if you go in and say something about you not being the name, let's say I, whenever I would go into court, I would say I'm here as the name, here to settle all claims and charges. Well, what's your name? What's your name? What's your name, man? I sat in the court with the judge asking me for 10 minutes straight what my name was, what my name was. I just kept saying the same thing over and over like a broken record. I'm here as. I'm here as. I'm here as. They need you to accept that they need to create joinder with you in the name. If they create joinder with you in the name, now they got something to proceed upon. But when they just attach that name to you and you know that that name's not you, that is an act of personage. It's where they're attaching something to you that's not really you, and they're, they're administrating that, that you as you know, basically chattel property. And you're not that. That's actually illegal in their system. But that's what they're doing. But since we are not really the name, we can't be a word, there's no real point in actually accepting the liability to that name. Because remember, he who creates the thing is responsible for the thing. If, you've, if any of you have read the Social Security card, you're going to find out. Like a lot of times they're like, what's your Social Security number? I don't have a Social Security number. Social Security Administration has a number. It says it right on the card. It says this is property of Social Security Administration. If we want it back, you got to give it back. That tells you right there that it's their property. So why are we messing around with their property? We're just born into it. So what we figured out, since we don't have our status corrected, one approach that works pretty well is going in there and basically asking for a claimant because you, if the state's bringing a claim, Okay, in a lot of cases, it's always the state or a bank, and then you have an attorney that speaks on behalf of the bank. But the funny thing is, if the bank is bringing a claim, well, you've never been able to speak with the claimant, so there must the bank can't talk. The bank only exists in name. The state can't talk. It only exists in name. Um, a court can't talk. It only exists in name. So these are logical but powerful concepts to burn into your brain. So if you've got an attorney speaking to you, he's representing the state or representing the court. Well, the attorney's name is probably like Jack, Mike, Bill, whatever. So he's not the state. His name, his identification doesn't say the state. So he's making a false claim because he doesn't have firsthand knowledge to anything. So you can get him on this. And here's another thing that you should know about attorneys bringing claims. Uh Attorneys hired by creditors may be held liable as debt collectors under the FDCPA, where they regularly engage in debt collection. See Nielsen versus Dickerson 307 F3D 623-7th Circuit 2002. So everybody's debt collecting. Everybody's trying to collect debt, you know, and they're collecting on behalf of the United States Inc., which is a foreign corporation. It's not really um, domestic because there's two United States. There was the United States. And there was anything created, there was another United States created within the sphere of the United States, which is foreign, not domestic. Section 968 of Corpus Juris Secundum, it specifically states that any corporation, it says right here, 
this is the foreign corporation, is one that derives its existence solely from the laws of another state, government, or country. A corporation incorporated in the United States possession is foreign, not domestic. So these are what you need to know. That's why bar attorneys, bar stands for British Accredited Registry. So the minute that – it's funny because all these agents out here that are running around, these are all foreign agents. They think they're running around as lawful uh, Americans and all that, and they give even credence to be in that. But the funny thing is under 20, Title 22 USC Foreign Relations and Intercourse, Chapter 11 that, that identifies all public officials as foreign agents. Um, here's another one. Title 8 U.S.C. 1841 stated, once an oath of office is taken, citizenship is relinquished. Thus, you become a foreign entity, agency, or state. That means every public office is a foreign state, including all political subdivisions, i.e. every single court is considered a separate foreign entity. So these are all private for-profit corporations doing business on the soil in which we're supposed to be protecting. We've allowed this as being unconscious beings running around, being too busy and caught up with all the entertainment that's around us. But this is what we're supposed to be paying attention to so we can keep our systems in, for our benefit so that way we can continue. We should be walking streets that are lined with freaking fruit trees everywhere, food for everybody. There should be no people who are homeless. There should be no starving countries. This should not be happening but it is because we allow it. We don't take the initiative and go and push this stuff. And when they don't want to listen, start creating our own things. We can create. We're creators. That's what we're here for, to create the lifestyle that we want. What's better lifestyle than to create benefit for all? Because when all is benefiting, we're benefiting too. But when we single ourselves out and we want only ours and we don't give a shit about anybody else, this is where this problem arises. I'm not that way. I'm about everybody benefiting equally and living a good life. That's all I'm about because I know in, in, in return I'm going to live a good life by that happening. But because it is the way it is, I deal with what I have put in front of me the way I want to deal with it. But it does take a little bit of you know, study. And the funny thing is you've got to read stuff. Here's, we don't read anything anymore. Everything is written in their books and stuff. So you actually have to sit down. I'm thank God for some of the videos out there that people have broke some of this stuff down. But man, I'm telling you, I had to read so freaking much and never read anything. Was in school. I hated school. I didn't like to read. I didn't like to write. I didn't like to do any of the stuff. But man, when I started reading this stuff, I was kind of hooked because it's just I don't know. It's in my nature or something to to add, you know just be in a world of truth. And I thought I was living the truth, but I found out everything was upside down and backwards and it was being presented to us and we were accepting it. That's what really floored me. And I want to come out and tell everybody. And then right away, man, you find out that you're looked at like a terrorist or something. But if you read the definition of terrorism, you're going to find out that these police officers out here, they are doing it by their own definition. What? They can escape it? No, they can't escape it. They're not being held accountable to it. They think they're above what is written, but no one's really above the law. What's law? Contract. Contract's written. You create your own contract. You send it. Let them acquiesce. Let them default. Now you got them. You can sue them in their private capacity. You just might have to take them to a different jurisdictional venue or something, um, like a federal court or something like that, so you could be held accountable and not in their 
state or county in which they they did something. But I mean, if they broke a federal rule and everything is federal here, we all use the benefit, take the benefit of Federal Reserve notes, and that's not even a money. If you go to the definition of money in Black's Law, basically says that that term usually revolves around gold and silver or a paper money used as a medium of exchange, but does not embrace the term notes, bonds, checks, drafts, or otherwise. So we have Federal Reserve notes. It is a paper money that we use as an exchange, but is a note. It has no value back in it. So therefore, it's if I may. Considered, it's, go ahead. Yeah, hey, this is Brian. I, I just want to say, you know, that topic that you're on right now. I was thinking about that this afternoon, and I was thinking about all the people that are always asking, well, you know, what do you do if you get out of the system, or what are we going to do if things collapse and this and that? You know, barter and trade, that can be really difficult because that's what everybody says is going to end up happening is barter and trade, and that that's really the way we're supposed to be operating anyway. Absolutely. And I'm thinking – you guys don't realize that you are already operating under butter and trade because Absolutely. you are using pieces of paper that you have fictitiously given value to, which have no intrinsic value as it is. It's just you guys have – each party has agreed that it has some sort of value put to both sides of the party, and so you're trading with these pieces of paper. Yeah. That's it. It's, that it's is so butter crazy, and trade right there, and and you guys are doing it every single day, every time you go in a store or whatever. It's just it, already it's been an assumed rule of value, um, exactly. just like just like you know um, a rule of value to me would be you know what a box of ammo would would be valued at you know. Well, guess what? Um, if you want to hand me a, a box of say. Um, 32 ammunition, okay? And you want to trade that to me for something. Well, you know what? To me, that doesn't have any value. To other people, it might, but to, to me, it doesn't. Well, I don't own a 32, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, now, maybe if you want to trade me 9 mm-hmm. yeah, that's going to have value to me. You know what I mean? Yep. So it all depends on the situation that, that you're in uh, with the barter and trade. Yeah, and you well, probably people are bartering and People are trading every day using those Federal Reserve notes. If you've read the yes, yes, yes. Like you said, modern, modern money mechanics, they say it like right in the first couple, uh, wait couple for him uh, for moment. paragraphs that the only reason that Federal Reserve notes are valuable is because of people's belief in them. So it's like, what if you don't believe in it? Like me, I don't believe that they're valuable at all. They're just pieces of paper with some, with some numbers on them. But are they really valuable? not according to their own laws and their notes, their promises to pay. What are we paying? What if, are we I, if I might, sir, I want to respond to uh, Brian's assertion that we take part in, technically speaking, Brian, you're right, but practically speaking, the va- the value is already predetermined before going into the uh, physical contractual exchange on that. And that's the only problem I see with your uh, example with Federal Reserve notes is that both parties have already agreed by practicality to the uh, um, to the fe- the value of that particular item at that particular point. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't if the situation wasn't already set before them as it is. And with that, so, but that would just be from conditioning. A conditioning you're in, you're, not you're, knowing not knowing what they've. You're way done. out, dude. You're like in the next room. 
that, I just said it would be. Can you hear me now? Yeah, that's be better. Thanks. <laughs> Sorry. It just it to be from conditioning. We've been conditioned to accept that as a money. But how many people actually have done research on what it really is? What if you take 100 people and you have them all research the money and then you try to get those 100 people, you know, and this other 100 people over here have done the same research. Do you think they're really going to want, want to trade that back and forth anymore? Or do you think that they're going to want to set up something else or create their own way if they're already found out, well, we've been doing it. I get what you're saying because that's what we've been conditioned to. But the facts are that they really are truly valueless and that everything was prepaid after the bankruptcy, basically. It's funded through the, the bonds, the birth certificates, and the amount of labor that you're going to produce through time. But everything's prepaid. Like when you go to the store, and it's funny when we get a bill. If like we go in the rears on our bank account and you're, you're in the rears, they always have a negative number next to that, like you're in the rears. $700 or whatever. Well, when we get a presentment of a bill, that bill always is in positive form. And it's funny because according to their UCC, we're just supposed to you know, sign the bill and give it back. And they're supposed to access the account and get the credits that they need. But if we owed money to like one of these uh, companies that send us a statement, well, realistically speaking, if we owe it, shouldn't we be in the rears that amount? We never are in the rears. It's never a negative. It's always a positive. It's almost like they're telling us to set up and discharge your debt. But when you try to utilize it based on their laws and the way that they have done it, you run into hassle. And I don't think you're running into hassle because they don't want you to do it. I just think we run into hassle more so because not enough people are aware of what's really going on. And that, that, that even the C, CFOs and the CEOs that you send these presentments to, a lot of them don't really know because they really believe that that money is real, that, real, that money has value. They can't see a world without it. It just sucks, but that's just the way it, it was written. And we're trying to actually make people aware of that fact once they become aware and then we try to utilize, enough people try to utilize it and find out that they're basically dishonoring well, that's going to get people more involved in fixing the problem because it is a problem. And if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. So like even me, I still consider myself part of the problem because I still use these Federal Reserve notes, but I haven't figured out a way not to. I don't want to use them, but I haven't figured out a way. I've tried using everything from birth certificate, Social Security card to my signature to just a straight-out acceptance. I mean – Everything, I go through a process when doing it. I get success, but it's usually, it should be a lot easier. It should be, if you take a piece of paper, it's paper for paper. So if you take a piece of paper and you, you actually send it to a company, that's actually a lawful payment because we only deal in negotiable instruments. You have a negotiable instrument that you have accepted. Acceptance in the UCC gives value. So when you say it is worth, my piece of paper is worth this, and you just gave it value because people give all the money the value by them agreeing to it being valuable. So, well, I don't think Federal Reserve notes are valuable, so I'm going to give this piece of paper that I created, I'm going to give it value by accepting your presentment and writing it off and sending it back to you. Now you have to wait to see what they do with it, and then if they don't do what they need to do with it, you have to be cognizant enough to actually follow through administrarily and actually default them out and take it to completion. When you have taken them to a default, 
regardless of whether you paid or not with the Federal Reserve note or a check out of your bank, if you have defaulted them and you're not afraid to go and file a case based on their default, it has nothing to do with what instrument. You can talk instrument all you want. What you're dealing in is their default and their dishonor of your presentment, and that's all you talk about. People get all crazy about, why well, I, I didn't send the money. Yeah, you did. In the system, we don't have any law so whatever you consider a money is a money. It's paper for paper. But don't present it that way. Well, I sent them an A for B. Don't even talk about that. I sent them a presentment. They failed to rebut the presentment. They failed to rebut the affidavit. Therefore, this unrebutted affidavit stands as truth, and I'm here now accepting what is overdue and owed to me, which is the amount of money that I am claiming now. And because they dishonored that, I'm, according to your law and your rule, I'm able to receive full face value of whatever note I presented to them because they dishonored it. And you can go about it. Debt collector, the debt collector that works easy on. You just got to be willing to go. Like when you get involved with the state, though, like, like even traffic tickets and you do the same thing, they're a little bit harder. Like I heard somebody talking about the the child support issue, they're going to be a little bit harder because they can't fall like a, a regular corporation. they got to hold a sovereignty type of mindset in individuals. So they're going to actually act more so like their stuff is more powerful and you can't do that with them. But there is a way, and it's, it's just being creative in your presentments, in your wording, and standing on the defaults because they never rebut properly what it is you sent. And you have to be able to stand without fear fear of going to jail, fear of whatever they throw at you, you have to stand. And you get to that point after you've messed with this stuff for a while, you just stop caring. And you understand that they're just in costumes and they're acting apart. They, they really are a bunch of children to me when I look at them because last time I figured or realized we stopped playing cops and robbers and that stuff when we were like 10 years old. These are adults that are playing dress-up all day long. And they're going and they're acting. They put on this little costume or uniform and they think they're just the shit, but they're really not. They're just people wearing a different costume or something. And you can call them out and look at them like that. And you can even make fun of them and not be rude about it, you know, if you can articulate it right. And it just makes them look dumb because they're not going to be able to actually, what are they going to do, get mad? I'm not playing dress up. The hell, you're not playing dress up. Don't get up and put on that little costume and uniform. You would not be talking to me this way if we were out on the street. You don't talk to people the way you talk to them when they come through these doors. You don't act like a total, complete retard to people when they're asking you a question. But when you come in here and you start asking them a question and they're sitting on the bench and they think they have some authority, they start automatically presuming that you're some kind of enemy and they start – you don't even know these people. and They start yelling at you and start giving you this, this – but it's just business. I had a judge tell me one time I failed in a traffic ticket, right? And I was trying so hard, and I got detained and everything because I was just asking questions. And the judge, actually, they detained me, and they brought me in this room, and this guy was being like the good the good prosecutor or whatever, trying to tell me that this stuff is, is false and everything. And I was like, well, I read it out of your own laws and stuff, and he didn't have anything to rebut. And I'm like, well, you know, I just don't really want to go to jail or anything. I had to work that day and all that stuff. So I'm like, all right, I'll just comply. So I went out, and it was like a $75 ticket. Okay, and so I, I just was like, all right, whatever. I paid it 75 bucks. When I was walking out of the court, the judge goes, hey. <laughs> and I turned around, and I said, what? And he goes, hey, man, he's got this big grin on his face because this guy went from fucking the nicest guy. Dude, when I asked, where's the state, and how am I going to be able to speak with the state, 
The guy jumped up on his bench, grabbed the book, whatever. It was probably the statute code book or something for the state. And he goes, you want to speak to the state? The state's right here. And he picks it up and slams it down, starts going actually crazy. But then when I'm walking out of the court, he goes, hey, big grin on his face. He goes, nothing, nothing personal, man. It's just business. And he's got this big smile. And I already knew it was nothing personal because when they detained me and I went in this room, all the there was like a bunch of lawyers in there because they knew I was going to do this stuff because I was asking all kinds of weird questions and stuff to anybody that came up to me. So they all stayed in there for the show. They did my case at the very end. But when they went into this room, when that door shut, they all started cracking up like it was some kind of game to them. And I was just like, oh, my God, man. Is this really for real? Is this how they, re- they really do this? This is like, And it was new. I was kind of new to the information, so to speak, new. I was only like a year into studying, you know, and stuff. So um, I've had, <laughs> had, had some pretty weird experiences in these places. But, yeah, I, I, I knew it was just business. But I didn't know at the time how to flip it on them. I really didn't know. At that time, I didn't know about the infinite state stuff. I didn't know the age of majority stuff. All that was going on was what I did know was the bankruptcy, there not being any lawful money in circulation, and because of that, you have the right to discharge your debt dollar for dollar. Now, I want to explain something about discharge. This is very important for people to know. A lot of people are like, I want to discharge my debt. Now, we're just kind of talking about that because we use the money with no value anyways. So we're never, ever paying for anything. So technically speaking, you are discharging a debt with the Federal Reserve note. But I want to tell you something. There, there are two terms that are very important. There's discharge and they're set off. So these terms are different, and they mean two totally different things. But discharge out of the Black's Law Force, it says right here, there is a distinction between a debt discharge and a debt paid. When discharged, the debt still exists through divested of its character as a legal obligation during the operation of its discharge. Something of the original vitality of the debt continues to exist, which may be transferred even though the transferee takes it subject to its liability incident to the incident to the discharge. The fact that it carries something which may be consideration for a new promise to pay so as to make an otherwise worthless promise a legal obligation makes it subject of transfer by assignment. So it basically means like, Let's say you're on your credit report and you discharge something off the credit report or you remove something and delete it. That doesn't mean that it's going to be gone for good. Somebody else can pick it up in the quantum pool of debt and uh, Article 1, Section 10, anybody's got the right to contract, any corporation can contract at any time. They can come grab this thing that you have no obligation to anymore and bring it right back to you. And through obligation to contract, they can establish a new contract with you because you don't know that it's contractual and they're coming at you that way. You just think it's a new debt, new presentment, new company, but it carries the same debt. How? It's because we never really actually pay for anything. So you are discharging debt all day long, but it's not technically a setup. Setup, that stuff is gone. And it actually supposedly would bring down the national debt. I think that's an illusion and all crap anyways, but I think all governmental structure that is set up the way this one is set up and the instrumentalities that they use and all the municipalities as well, I think they're all crap. I'm more like... Well, this, this one may. Go ahead. I have one, one question on that. Now, we're discharging... You say we're discharging debt all day. Now, 
if we owe a court debt and we're trying to, you know, clear out the court debt, that, that would be considered a debt set-off, correct? If, yes. Like if you're doing an A for B or something and you're trying to set the debt off through an A for B, an instrument, a finance, like a negotiable instrument, and they take it and accept it, and you're not exchanging a Federal Reserve note or a check out of your bank or something, that should be used as a set-off, yes. But they don't okay. do that. They Thanks. want you to pay with a check or Federal Reserve note. But when you're using those, or, they aren't actually paying, but you can use them in the system. So, like, even though they okay. don't pay for anything, you can take them and use them, and you go into a store, and you can buy more stuff. There's no value to them or anything, but because people believe in them so much, they can still use it. But technically, because of what they are, they're not worth anything, but they do have use. They do have a use and a purpose, and we use them at, for that purpose. So, but they, they, since there's no value and it doesn't pay for anything, they have a promise to pay, it's actually considered a discharge because the debt still exists. We're always just putting shit off into the future. We're never really, we're never really, you know, setting it off so that way it never returns again. It's just something to know. I mean, you can consider like some some law dictionaries will tell you a discharge is like it's gone. And then other dictionaries will tell you differently. I mean, it's, it's all what it is, but from my research... You're, so, you're sounding like you're outside in the wind. Right now, I'm really? I don't know why my phone's... Yeah, you sound like you're in the wind. I'm trying to speak right in the, right in the microphone, but I don't know. I apologize for that. It's probably my phone. That's okay. So, I mean, I had a bunch of stuff just laid out on the on the car because I'm just kind of talking and walking around. I have a bunch of just things I was going over or whatever I get in on. I just kind of go off on a rant and just grab things as it comes to me. But if you guys got any other questions or concerns or anything that may be able to speak on or may I on a little bit, we can. May I? You may. Yes, Mr. Harris on Arkansas. Um, have you ever used the GSA bonds in your administrative process to default? No, but I know, no, but I know of many people who have. And I actually I was going to bring that up to the fellow with uh, the child support. Um, I had a buddy. He's from Texas. He actually did a – he used GSA bonds, went into court using the GSA bonds. They asked him questions about it. The judge actually okayed all his GSA bonds and everything. He ended up two weeks later, he got another presentment from a different city court, different area in the court. Like wind, in the wind again. Can you hear me better right now? Is that better? Yeah, I can now. Yeah, that's a little bit better. But there's some other background noise also that's covering up. I don't, I don't really have too much background noise here, um, but I'll just try to talk a little bit louder. But the GSA bonds, they're the governmental bonds, and uh, he actually used them in the court. The court actually accepted them, but then he got another presentment from a different area in a court and had to go back. When he went back, he was trying to explain that he's already taken care of the debt and that the, the judge, and he gave the judge name and everything and said that he accepted them and everything. But they got him into another contract somehow, um, and even though that, that judge had accepted them, it was still up for grabs. Like he still ended up he's still dealing with that, that, that thing right now, the still the child support thing. And he's pretty intelligent. He knows about this infancy estate stuff. He's brought so many presentments, not only to the court, he's brought them to the attorney generals of the state, the the federal attorney general. I mean, he's going he's been presenting everything. He's like, There's not much I can do. 
you know, I've already started, they've already accepted all the instruments, but... Hello, I, is this Anthony? Hello? Is this Anthony? No. Who's this? NM Justice. I'm sorry, what's your name? As <laughs> my alias is NM Justice. I go as uh, my website. And stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you, you man, come on, you, you, you sound like my I'm man uh, from um, you sound like <laughs> my man Anthony. Uh, but I guess you're not. You have that same voice. Um, anyway, this is L- Lamont Cassell. Lamont Cassell, and I um I, I applaud you for your work. But the uh, the guy with the child support issue, the reason why they sent him up for, after the GSA is because he he didn't do a proper um what's called he he didn't demand the judge, the original judge to do a uh, a presentment of settlement or a notice of settlement. He actually had to close, close the whole court case account with a request from the old judge so that no other uh, administrative body uh, will continue to racketeer or have him in any, uh, any uh, rehashing or rehashing of a, of, a, of a future contract. That's what yeah, happens. That if, makes if, sense. That makes sense. That could have been, that could have been the issue. Um, yeah. He tried to what? go and Bell kind of had a problem with that stuff, but we had somebody use GSA bonds on a mortgage case, and those worked. And they they didn't have to do a settlement or anything. And uh, her mortgage was basically settled. Oh, here's the thing that she did. Too, she was an old lady. She did the GSA bonds by she was being coached by one of my friends. They filled out the GSA bonds. They she actually made it for three, two or three times the amount of what was being. Um, what was being wanted by like the courts or whatever, or the, the bank, the judge had asked her, he said, why did you make these for so much? And she goes, just a little old lady. She goes, being that I didn't know how many people were involved in the case. Um, I wanted to make sure all you got paid. So I made it for that much to make sure all you guys were made whole. And the judge looked at her and smiled. She's just a little old lady. And it's like, you know, settled their case out and it was done. So, I mean, different, strokes for different folks not everything works the same way like I've, I've i've done things for people and it worked like a charm i tried to actually do the same thing for myself and it doesn't work so i don't understand why it is like that why it works some for some people and don't for others but i do know that what they have written if you go by that you have a basis to kind of go by and you have kind of like a a way some way to kind of guide yourself through and it helps when somebody can break the stuff down has been reading it and understands the verbiage a little bit and can help you and coach you through. But when I first started, I didn't have anybody, man. I was just kind of in this blind, just reading and trying to articulate a dictionary in it all the time. Um, it, it just, just is what it is. And you just deal with it, deal with how, you know, the cards that you're dealt and, you know, don't get, um, if I may, yeah. if I may, um, this this is Lamont Cassell again, and um, you can Facebook me or you can um, email me or whatever. I mean, I mean, I don't care. I don't care about who's on the phone. Nine one seven four nine six six zero nine three. I help people out on the East Coast uh, solving their, um, you know, their state obligated child support on a on, in a different approach, a whole different method successfully. And, um, and and you just uh, have to uh, do it a conditional acceptance after after you do your administrative uh, process of, of discharging. I'm sorry, after your your administrative process of disputing the debt. Um, and if they uh, don't uh, respond, a notice of non-response, you put that right in the bank. Um, I mean, not in the bank. You put it right into the county recorder office. And then if they want to compel you, the body, the living. 
come back to court uh, for uh, uh, in 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 a, a warrant capacity as if they ignored your administrative process, and then you come in there because you're compelled by stress, duress, and coercion. Then you you give it to them hardcore with the um, a conditional acceptance, where um, under um, uh, uh, congressional uh, uh, CFRs, congressional the congressional federal regulations under CFRs. Title 31 and um, United States codes, they're compelled, the, the administrative body is compelled to accept your presentment of a 1099A in, in lieu of com- private commercial paper. But there's a whole bunch of documents, there's a whole bunch of structure that I do, I compose for, for my clients um, uh, um, in order to get a notice, a notice of satisfaction of settlement. The notice of satisfaction of settlement is the key. Because that closes off the accounting from the from, from the these goddamn um, court racketeers. N- no one, very 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 few judges will advise a, uh, a pro se or a individual or a living person who who is who is appearing by special uh, appearance. Advise them that um, you, I, I would suggest for you to uh, do a notice of satisfaction of settlement once. Once the so-called alleged debt has been discharged, now now you said in court it's called a set-off. Am I correct, or is it both? I thought it was both. Well, there's there's both. Yeah, you can use both. That's I mean, right. Like, yeah. yeah. Okay, so check so this I out. Bringing that, I was just bringing that to some people's awareness that they may <clears throat> look at it as that definition. You never know. There's so many definitions for one word in our language that. You never know. We don't define each word we use. I was just bringing it to the attention, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah, well, you, you, can, you can Facebook me. I'm Lamont, like Fred Sanford, Lamont Cassell, C-A-S-S-E-L-L. And I, I don't care who's on the phone. I do this stuff, and it's not a, not, a, not a redemption hustle. Each case is different. I customize the templates. I do the notice of, uh, a notice of special appearance, a.k.a. notice of visitation to, to their uh, – private administrative venues. I cite the case law, the state law, and the federal law, and I shepherd, I shepherd the case where uh, the so-called person who's obligated to pay child support, he switches the tables where he's the Movant party. He's the one who's moving the court, not the, not, not the prosecutor, not the opposing party, not baby mama drama, not the attorney on the other side. Once he fires his, fires his, fires his attorney. And he may, and like in your case, maybe the reason why that, maybe the reason why the GSA and the remedies that you propose are successful for others, but not for you, is because two things. Maybe you didn't, maybe perhaps you didn't do a UCC one filing properly in the local county where you would do commerce. I'm just speculating. Yeah, it could be. Could be. Okay. Like, it could be and a it, bunch of different things. Right, but check it out. So the, the GSA that you said that was su- successful for those two cases. Well, one was the old woman, which was nice, where she put the whole she put mm. the project she put the whole entire projected amount in case anyone else is hitting the bond just to cover herself and to walk out the door Scott, uh, Scott squeaky clean. That, that's a very good that's a very good approach. I've done that. But what GSAs do you, are you talking about? The GSA 28, the 91, the 90, or the bid bond, performance bond, and acceptance bond? Which ones? I I haven't ever filled them out. I have a buddy that actually was an attorney. And he had his uh, 
his attorney buddies had a zip drive and they sent him all the GSA bonds. He's the one who actually had done them. And he's the, he's the same guy who helped out that other fella. I've never done them. I've never, I've never done the GSA bonds. We've helped well, people ha- and sent them to them, <laughs> them people. Okay. Well, we'll have him, we'll have you or him contact me. If you, are you on Facebook? Yeah, I got a Facebook. Now, I, okay. I wrote down your stuff. So I wrote it down. So I have it. So yeah. I'll Lamont Cassell. And, um, yeah, I, I've done that. I've done um, I may, tra- traffic tickets. Oh, Cassell, C-A-S-S-E-L-L. I, I'm located in the East Coast. I have a, I have Texas, um, Allen, Texas. But when you see my Facebook page, you'll say Allen, Texas, um, where my um, my crazy knucklehead relatives live um, in uh, <laughs> in Texas. Um, but it's Lamont, L-A-M-O-N-T, Cassell, C-S-S-E-L-L. And what I do, I try to... I try to in- integrate the, the knowledge, like the like the X Men or the Avengers Assemble or some sh- some shit like that, and I integrate the best pieces. What you know, from Gene Keaton pieces, from Gene Keaton to Mary Elizabeth Croft to like uh, Rock Class or um, you know uh, uh, you know uh, you know Tim Turner, you know Winston Shroud, whatever. All those big guys who succeeded. You know the reason why some of them don't succeed so much because there's always something a judge or the prosecuting attorney will, will sneak out and try to say, oh, there's a loophole. We can't, we can't, we can't, you cannot access your prepaid account. We can't, we, you cannot access, or are we going to have more resistance towards you, even though you follow the proper paperwork, GSA bond, um, the administrative process, debt validation, um, <clears throat> uh, um, a conditional acceptance, uh, the 1099A process, the A for V process, all that, all of it is supposed to be working. All of it is valid. When you come into full majority, you know who's running this, you know what the score is, you know these, these are fake Elohims in the magistrate's office. They're not, bar, they're not licensed to do any type of law. They, they, are, they, are, they are at law. We, as a living, we perfect law. We engage in law. We study law. We are the layman of law. We have the highest standing. Um, UCC one or non UCC one, not notwithstanding, but that does help. And you collateral, you 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 um, you know secure you uh, authenticate your birth certificate on the county level and the state federal if you can, and you file one copy into the land records with your truth affidavit that you that you are in you know in full light and you reach the age of majority and you know how to handle your own fail, own affairs in private banking and you know what uh, private commercial paper is. You know, you can use the Clearfield Trust Doctrine. Uh, you can also use what Brian Parker suggests all the time is the United, United Nations Rights of Indigenous People and other, other um, you know, and other, you know, other federal international laws that, uh, that these uh, United States and corporation are in constant violation of. They're in constant violation of these things because they want to keep us on, like you said, in the matrix, locked down and, and compelled and compelled like slaves to use private commercial paper from these bankers. And it has nothing to do with the United States. It has nothing to do with the, to the, to the, to do with the, the Constitution or the Republic. If I may, this is Brian. I, I wanted to mention something to uh, NRM Justice. Um, you brought up a situation where court uh, had been recessed, and when it reconvened, um, the defense came in and he basically said, this is a commercial situation. He opened up immediately with that, with the court administrator. 
And I want to mention that, you know, I don't think that anybody really realized what happened when he did that because he, he just shifted liability uh, to the courts yes. <laughs> by pronouncing the commercial situation. And, you know, the roles that everybody plays here have all been switched around. Everything is set in a trust format. Everything has three points in every situation. And they, they've totally convoluted the whole situation on everybody. And the way it's supposed to be, I mean, we had a perfect example of it when um, Representative Traffickant was still alive from Ohio. And he stood before the floor of Congress and he said that we are the trustees of the largest bankruptcy in the world. And he said it right there. They are the trustees. Yep. Yet these guys are supposed to be the trustees. Instead, they try to get us to accept the role of trustee, and that's where the liability falls at. And they yep. put themselves into the role of uh, the beneficiary as well. So now they're given the orders. They're going to get the benefits, and you're stuck holding all the liability. And I, I think that is just – that's – once you overcome that in court, which is what happened with declaring it a commercial situation, and that's where you're going to win at. And, you know, with the little old lady that made sure that there was enough to cover all parties involved, you know, that's absolutely – something was done there that wasn't really noticed, and that is that with all these cases, they're only holding these cases so they can make money. And – if you if you're going to go and leave the door open for them to receive a sum of money, by gosh, they're absolutely going to side with you because you're hooking them up. And if you hook them up better than the other side does, then you're golden. You're totally golden. And, uh, I remember, and you're talking about something happening for one person, not for another. And I don't I don't really look at it in that terms. What I look at it as. Something worked in front of one judge, but it didn't work in front of another judge. And I remember a situation I had quite a few numbers of years back before I knew Jack Squat, and I actually had hired an attorney. Fortunately, I was smart enough to get the best one in town, and he was probably also about the least expensive in town as well, which is a beautiful thing. <laughs> but he was dragging a court case out, and I think we were on our fourth or fifth month, something like that, where he kept getting a continuance. And I, I said to him, I says, dude, I said, why are we still dragging and continuing, continuing? And he said, just wait, you'll see. And uh, the following month came along, and he said, okay, yeah, we're, we're going to tie this up now. And we went in, everything got settled, got tossed out of court, and we walked out, and he looked at me, and he said, so what did you think of that judge? And I'm like, he was really easy to work with. He said, exactly. You just have to wait until the right judge is in front of you. Because every time you're doing these continuances, you're not going to always be getting that same court administrator or that judicial administrator in front of you every single time. Uh, whoever's been handling that case for the judicial side that guy's got vacations or he has other court cases coming up and somebody else is going to have to step in. So, you know, that, you know, if there is anything positive in the world at all to say about attorneys, 
The only thing positive would be that there's some of them that are smart enough to know the court administrators or the judicial administrators and which ones they can win with and which ones they can't. Mm-hmm. It, and it's because they pay attention. They watch the cases. They pay attention to who the judicial administrator is, how they handle things. And that's why it's recommended many times to people that if you have time, if, if it's at all feasible, go into court. Take notes. Be a court watcher. Sit and see who the judge is. Take notes of the case and the things that that judge does. You know, you might, you know, hopefully you aren't going to have any interactions uh, with the law where you're at, but if you foresee that happening, especially even if you have a pending mortgage situation come up, go in. Sit and learn these judges. Learn who you want to be in front of and who you don't. That's a very important key thing right there, I believe. And uh, I'll yield with that. Cool. I agree with that. Yeah. Well, for me, this is NM Justice. I'm going to actually have to remove myself from the call because my phone is going to die here. And uh, so I do want to say I it was a pleasure speaking with everybody on the call. Um, if anybody would like to reach out to me, um, I have a, a website nmjusticefreedom.com you can go there or I got a YouTube channel too and it's nmjustice so um, if anybody wants to reach out for anything like what we spoke on today it'd be wonderful it's no problem um, but I do want to say I do have to um, cut my time a little bit short because of my phone but it was a pleasure so if there's anything I can answer for somebody like right before I get off I will other than that I'm going to have to hang up yeah, so if anybody has a quick question or anything, and, and I'm Justice, I don't know if you're a member of Tactical Sovereignty or not on Facebook, but jump yeah, over there and put in requests. That way we can access each other through there as well. Great, great. So if anybody has a question well. for him. All right, yeah. awesome. So, well, I guess there's no quick questions. So, I mean, you covered things really, really excellent, and I'm Justice. Uh, you laid things out totally perfect, I believe. And it would be well worth to anybody if they didn't catch the first hour of the call. Um, it'll be up on TalkShoe within the next uh, couple hours. Go back and listen to it. This is uh, recording number 22. So, All right. I, I appreciate everybody, and everybody have a wonderful rest of the night. Take it easy. Thanks again. And- right. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. No, no problem. Take Good it show. Easy. Good show. Thank you. Well, and what he went over this evening is essentially what I've been trying to explain to people. Uh, D.L. Harris has tried to explain to people. Uh, Mark Casal has as well explained to people, you know, court is not in that room. That's really not where court is at. Court really is in the paperwork. And it's in that volley, that back and forth of paperwork uh, being sent back and forth to each party. That's that's the communication line, and that is where court is really held at because that's where the only true evidence is at, is right there where you can show the administrative process of, I sent this, this is what I received, this is what I sent back. You know, here is our line of communication. And that's what has to be established.
Um, well, if anybody else had anything they wanted to add or comment on, uh, feel free. We're just about at the two-hour mark, so. I got a, I got a quick question. What are what are GSA bonds? I don't know much about them. No. You've got uh, two set of bo- two sets of bonds that run on cases and on inmates. Um, there's federal bonds and then there's state bonds that run on them. And I haven't explored them really well in depth. Um, but that, that's really where I mean, what you hear about the courts are actually banks. Well, that's what the case is, and they're running these bonds in the background, and that's where this money is all being transferred at. That's how they're making their money. That is why the United States has so large of a prison population because there is so much money to be made there. I was reading something the other day that said that the prison system makes up 70% of the profits in this nation. How scary is that? It's very scary. It it just goes to show there is no justice in the system. They don't care about justice. You you might as well rename the the justice system the just us system. Yeah, yes, exactly. Well, you know, I agree. It, it it does need to stop, but it it's not going to stop anytime soon. And that's why I recommend to everybody that the best thing you can do is remove yourself from their situation. Get yourself off from their books. Uh, to, get my know, stuff authenticated and go down to Minnesota and get it processed. I heard I actually right. had to go down to Minnesota itself. and Of course, they process while we wait from what I heard, but it's a good idea. And uh, that would be Minnesota Rule 220. I'm guessing that's why it's only held in Minnesota. But they accept anybody from any state to process their uh, authenticated DC. I guess it goes to the county register of deeds, and I'm not sure what else it does from there. But I've been learning, well, you know, so much. You can set that same process up through any state through any Secretary of State, but uh, mm-hmm. the wording and the way they have it structured for Minnesota is uh, unique from any of the other states. That's okay. why Minnesota is preferred. Uh, it sounds like I would prefer it too because I don't even want to attempt it in Michigan because Michigan likes to turn people away and give us a problem. And I've tried to go get my birth certificate in they gave me a problem. I had to order it online. I don't even know if I can go to well, the county register of deeds in my county where my BC originates. All right. Well, it, uh, the one that holds that uh, certificate of live birth uh, is mm-hmm. going to be um, vital statistics is who you're going to want to go through. Uh, they're the ones that have it. And okay. it, you call it county. It, it, you're end up going to be transferred around and you'll know, end up at uh, vital statistics. Okay. All right. But, and, but that's one of the main things right there is, I was going to say, getting the status corrected. And that's a term a lot of people know, and that's why I say it, status correction. But it's really not a status correction because mm-hmm. there's nothing to fix. 
everybody has the correct status as it is. What you are really correcting is the presumption and the assumption that the legal side has and how they look at you as. That's what you're correcting. Uh, because so and essentially also, what you're doing is you're, you're rebutting them is what you're doing. Okay. And rec- rescissioning, it's like a rec- rescinding the contract with the U.S. corporation. Is that what that does? Well, well, uh, no, not really, because there, there really was no contract. A lot of people like call it a contract. It, it wasn't a contract. Um, number one, what they did is they established or organized an organization and registered it. And that was done shortly after someone was born. Um, in my case, it happened 10 days after I was born. Actually, no, let me see. It happened on the 10th. So it happened six days after I was born. Well, at being six days old, I don't think I have any ability to sign, comprehend, or be cognitive of any kind of a contract. You know, so that organization that was created is strictly a statutory creature that was set up by the state. And uh, like NM Justice was saying in the beginning of the call, that was originally set up because of the bankruptcy. You know, over the years, the United States, and I like to look at them as being a drug addict that is digging through the house looking for anything of value that they can sell or pawn or whatever or get rid of to pay for their next hit. And that's the way they've been over the years. They've gotten rid of the national parks, um, and then they release them back. They, they get rid of even the infrastructure, like bridges or uh, water management systems for cities. All of those things end up getting sold or leased out to other countries. Uh, there's probably, well, there's definitely more countries running things here on America than the United States Corporation is running. <laughs> that's crazy when you think about it. Yeah. But that's, that, so that's what they did is scrounging around looking for anything. And so since they really didn't have too much else to pawn or sell off that they didn't want to lose, they decided to sell off the future labors of the people and the future mm-hmm. prosperity that was going to be created by the people. And so that's what they did through creating that organization. And what they were saying when they created that organization is, okay, uh, this individual has been born. This individual is going to be the representative of this organization. And through this organization, they're going to, pay probably X amount in taxes because their parents uh, either went to college, own homes, own businesses, and they kind of establish it that way. And so they, they're able to put a value um, on the life of that organization and what that organization is going to produce for the United States uh, Incorporated. And then that ends up being taken and bundled and sold as securities across the board, yeah, just like when they were bundling mortgages uh, prior to the last collapse in 08-09. And that's the situation like, that we're faced with right now. It all looks like the game of Monopoly. Right, exactly. And myself, <laughs> what, I, what I've what i done, and that's what I was going to cover tonight, and then and I'm here, uh, and I'm, uh, Justice came along, 
excellent, excellent mm-hmm. presentation that he laid out. You did a very good job. Yeah, it was, it was good. I was listening. We have to, what people haven't done, and part of coming to the age of majority isn't just reaching the age of 18. Coming to the age of majority is taking responsibility for how you're going to handle or not handle that organization. And so through your communications, one of the things I looked at forever was, okay, in any organization, we know everything is set up in a format like the trust. Where is the principal at? So it didn't take me too long really to stumble on who the real principal was because the real principal is the one that is responsible for the establishment of that organization, which would be your secretary of state. So communication lines that you open up with wherever you're sending whatever documents you decide to draw up, you need to, well, at least what I did is I referred to them as the principal. And I directed them as to my position regarding that organization. Or at least it, it may be a limited partnership. But I addressed them as the principal and told them how I was going to be interacting uh, with that organization, and I referred to that organization by the state file number that they used when they created it. And that state file number is generally in the top right-hand corner of the certificate of live birth. It will be three numbers um, with a dash followed by a series of maybe eight or nine other numbers. Those first three numbers uh, designate the state in the area where that organization was organized at. This was on the BC. And then, right, and then those other numbers um, more directly refer right to that organization itself. And so that way throughout everything that I, that I was writing, there every was time I referred to the organization, Are you talking about the three letters? I'm here. I, um, are you talking about the three letters? in seven numbers underneath the date issued? Uh, there's, uh, it's three numbers, a dash, and then there'll be eight or nine other numbers after it. Uh, uh, for, where I was right, born on Michigan, right I think the numbers were one, two, one. Yep, top right corner yeah. is where it's normally at. Yeah, it is one, two, one. Okay. So that state final number is what now? That is the registration number for the for the organization, and that's what I use when I'm in communication with them. I refer to the organization by that number. Hmm. Now, the name of the organization is your all cap name. What number, uh, Brian? What number? This series of numbers. What is it? Where? How was it generated? Where did you get it from? Uh, like I said, I got it right off from the certificate of live birth, and that's generated by the state. Right, oh, the oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, right, the file number. My my, my, my file number, I have three series of numbers. This, this is Lamont again. I have a file number. I have a file number. I have the district right. number, and then I have the uh, registration number. The file number is, is a six-digit number. I think that's what you're referring to. Call a rotor, please. Well, yeah. Mayor Pertorance? Yeah, this button in has got to stop. 
Come on, you butted in twice. You already kicked on the call. If you want the floor, you wait till somebody's done talking, and then you ask for the floor. Oh, you you, you got to be an idiot. Don't, don't don't be rude with me, man. I, I I'm very I'm very apologetic. I, I have known my manners. Do not do not dictate the phone call conversation. Do not dictate the navigation of it. Excuse it's a natural me. call. Excuse me. No, no, no. This is Brian Parker's call. You did not ask for the floor. No, you did not ask for the floor. Right. Don't give me that. Oh. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. So I. So, no. You know what? I got you. you. You made your point. Let's move on. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. In the future, people just ask me. I and you know when people are jumping, <clears throat> jump in. Jump in. Um, yeah, I apologize. Well, but the, yeah, yeah, that's 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 fair enough. But thank you for that information. Well, the amount of numbers. The <clears throat> amount of numbers is always going to be different. Um, I think you said yours is six. You know, it just depends on the state and the population of the state. Uh, my series of numbers is actually the first three numbers, which is for the state and the location with the dash, and then mine is followed up by seven uh, numbers after that. But those seven, those numbers after the, the state's identification number is really going to be determined by, like I said, the population of the state and the size of the state. You know, so, I mean, I don't want people on a rabbit chase out looking for a series of six numbers or nine numbers or eight numbers because those will all go very, very much. Uh, the only thing that's important is underneath it, it says state file number. And that is the registration number for that organization. And so that's what I've used. And uh, I think people probably saw, I had posted here several weeks ago that I'd gone to the Department of Motor Vehicles and asked them for a seven-year report. And I've been scratching my head for a while as to why the body of that report was blank when it should have had at least four things that I can definitely come up with that they should have had listed there as far as uh, interactions with the police. But like I said, it was blank. It was empty. So I scratched my head as to what I have done that could have caused that. And I, I just realized the other day that I had switched insurance carriers. And when I had switched insurance carriers, um, the new carrier had seen those four things on my report and then decided to set insurance up according to that. Um, so it hadn't been what I had done prior to that had to have been something since I would switched insurance carriers. And the only thing that I have done switch insurance, since I switched insurance carriers was um, – my notices that I sent to the Secretary of State for where I was born, where I live, and at the federal level, which was my relationship to the organization. So I know there's a few of us out there kind of thinking the same thing. Okay, what did it? What caused it? And so just to let everybody know, that's what I've come up with that um, affected the change in the uh, report. So... Anyway, uh, somebody else had a question or a comment before we wrap this up? We're right at the two-hour mark. If no? I may, Brian, this okay. is France. Yeah, how you doing, bro? Um, the gentleman that was talking to you before um, DeMont was talking to you uh, on Michigan there, uh, there is a couple of places, depending on where 
exactly he was at that he can get his life birth certificate at. I don't know if he's still on or not. Uh, what do you recommend, Rance? Well, if it's like, I got I got mine in from all, or all three places, actually. I got it from the Vital Statistics. I got the first one. The second set of five I got from the actual county that I was born on. I called them, and with the credit card, they'll send them right to you. And the third one, where I got the other next set from, was the, the county that I live in now. So St. Clair County, up at the county clerk's office, has them. So there's there's three spots in on Michigan that you can get them. I just wanted to bring that to his attention. I That's cool. I because I've yeah I haven't heard too many people getting uh, or having much success using the county and always getting routed to vital stats from there, which that's who I went through because being down here in Florida and being born on Michigan, you know, I was calling around up there and they said, they kept, okay, we're going to switch you to this. Okay. We're going to route you over to this. You know, and that's where they ended up uh, dumping me off. That was vital stats. So. Right. And well, my son I, just got, go ahead. No, go ahead. My son just got 10 of them at the St. Clair County Clerk's Office library certificates. He went in and ordered 10, got 10 right there as he waited. They're just a little bit cheaper than the, the um, vital stacks ones. They say the same thing, live, live birth certificate on them. Right, you? right. And that's one of the things I... Yeah, that was one of the things I want to say, Rance, is that a lot of times uh, if you go online and you're looking up uh, vital statistics to order them from them, there is actually a processing company, and here we go, another third party, right, that's out there. And you'll notice, like if you're doing a Google search, you'll notice on the series of links that you see that you can go to that there'll be the little yellow ad sticker there. Well, that's because that is like a totally separate third-party company, and I think it is called something like um, it's called Vital Check. And yeah, Vital Check is going to charge you twice or three times as much sometimes. But if you keep searching, if you want to go through Vital Statistics, keep searching, you will find just Vital Statistics, and not that company that looks like Vital Statistics called Vital Check. You don't want to use vital check unless you have no problem, you know, paying extra money for the same thing. So. Right. And like I said, my first one was through them and it was $57 just for one. And then my other ones were $15 and $7 after that from the other two places. Uh, what was... What was the least expensive where you were born? The county where you were born? Yes. That was the least expensive one. It was right from the, um, well, it was called Battle Creek, but yeah, it was right from there. That was the least expensive. And they said you know, it. From, uh, 
going to say from Kellogg's territory. Yeah. Hello. Uh, yeah. yeah, what's up? Oh, sorry, Rance, you cut out the last 20 seconds. It was empty. It was dead air. So your phone had dead spot. Anyway, yeah, who was on? Hello? Sounds like a lot of people are having phone problems this evening. All right. I can well, hear you loud and clear. There... All right. Okay. I could hear that. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess if nobody has anything else, we can call this a wrap. Um, I've got a couple people trying to contact me here on the side. So, anyway. I think tonight was a great explanation of everything that's happened and uh, the position that the state looks at everybody from. And you have to comprehend that position in order to deal with them. Um, Otherwise, you're going to look like that infant or ward that they think you are or that person of unsound mind. Uh, People can go into actually... It's uh, Title I, Section 8, and I found the exact information quite a while ago that our guest tonight was talking about. And where it was talking about person, it talked about people of unsound mind. And then the paragraph ended. I'm like, wait a minute, that's it? You're pretty much always looking at people as being from a standpoint of unsound mind? So I was like, okay, well, uh, that, that tells a lot of, you know, why they really don't even want to communicate with you. Because nobody really wants to try communicating with anybody from with an unsound mind. Uh, communication is pretty difficult. And, you know, we've really found that they're really the ones with the unsound mind. <laughs> they're trying to come from, godly speaking, a very unlawful position. But with that being said, I think tonight has really helped everybody learn a little bit more about where they're from, where they really are, and who they really are. Um, I think that explained a whole bunch of it tonight, and it's these things that are really going to make the difference in our lives. And with that being said, thanks, everybody, and until next week, talk to you later. Good show, Brian. Thanks. See you next Sunday. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.